G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Defining your treasure. That's what we're talking about today. Hello, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Today with Jeff Vines. And we're about to hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's message about the things we're most passionate about our treasures. Pastor Jeff is using the analogy of a triangle. Our work for God's kingdom is at the top. And the bottom two corners are the things that drag us down, hampering our efforts. One is self-preservation. And now he's about to explain the second distraction. If you missed the first part of this message, you can catch up wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But for now, let's hear from Pastor Jeff. I'm going to ask you to dive in because what we're going to learn together through Nehemiah can really impact everything you do or the way you think from this moment on. This applies across the board to any area of life. There's going to be two primary distractions to try to topple you. The first is self-preservation. Now there's a second distraction, not only self-preservation, self-promotion. You're not going to believe self-promotion is a second. You're not going to believe What happens in Nehemiah 5, the people are returning to Jerusalem to build the city of God, but they got nothing, man. They got nothing. They've been enslaved. They've been a controlled people. They're like the Jews of the Holocaust. Their land, their businesses, their opportunities have all been taken away. And they're still being taxed by the king on what they do have. And they're living basically hand to mouth. Now, as it is in every generation... The wealthy moneymakers still know how to make money when everybody else is losing money. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. So their own brothers are lending them money in order to be able to live and charging them outrageous interest so they can never get out from under it. Nehemiah hears this and he says, what in heaven's name are you doing? We're all brothers here. You should be giving resources to them because we're building together the city of God. You're taking advantage of the misfortunes of others. Stop it. And man, he, he, he must have been angry because they were scared. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And they did the right thing. 
But the other thing you notice in Nehemiah 5 is Nehemiah himself could have made a killing if he was not an honest man. All these resources the king gave him, the food, the rations, the home, the lodging, the timber, everything, he could have turned around and ridded that out to his own people to make a killing while they're building the city of God. Why didn't he? Because there was no doubt in Nehemiah's mind that everything he had in his possession had been given to him by God to build the city of God in the city of man. Can I ask you, is that you? Is that you? You see everything that you have as a gift from God to do these things, but first and primary to do this one thing. To bring up there, down here, to build a city of God, the city of man. Here's a good test for you where your heart is. And folks, this is not a light message, pretty serious message. When, when your financial base, when God expands your base, what are your first thoughts? Oh man, now I can go to Hawaii. I've been wanting to do that for a while. Oh, now I can get that Mercedes or BMW. Oh, now I can move out of this shack and get a bigger home. What's the first thing you think about? Know that commercial, what's in your wallet? My question to you is, what's in your triangle? Because this is the one thing you're most passionate about so that when God expands your base, your first thoughts go here. Not self-promotion or self-aggrandizement or even self-preservation, your first thoughts when God expands your base for the person who is following God and knows what the one thing is, is to build a city of God and city of man. Can I say one more time, and these are not my words, these are Jesus' words, I've paraphrased them, but he basically says this, whatever it is that you love most will compel your resources. It's just cause and effect. This is not legalism, folks. You notice again, I've not mentioned the word tithe one time. That is not what this is about. It's what you love that gets resourced. And it's what you love most that gets resourced the most. It's just life. And when things get tight, what you love least gets left behind. It's just life. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The actual translation is the word hate. Jesus said, unless you hate your mom and your dad, you cannot follow me. What he's actually referring to is a lesser love. He's saying, you can love your family and love your husband, your wife, your children, your family, but you love all of those less than you love me and my work of bringing up there, down here. Now, stay with me here. When you love other things more than God, when you have greater passions, if anything is on this line other than the work of God in your life and in the world, if anything, two things are going to happen. The first thing is this thing will become your true God. You will worship it, follow it, and serve it. You will do whatever you have to do to get it. But the second thing is you will actually end up sacrificing Jesus to get this thing rather than sacrificing this thing to get Jesus. It's just cause and effect. Do you remember what Jesus did with Peter in John 21? Peter had denied Christ three times. What, did, what does Jesus do with Peter? He comes and says, what's, he, what's the first question he asks him? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you, ask three times, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? I told you I love you. Do you love me? Yes, yes, you know I love you. Why did he do that? To show Peter that there's always an inseparable relationship between love and sacrifice. Because if you read the next verse after Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you, it goes like this. 
Very truly, I tell you. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, good, glad we got that out of the way. When you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus says right now, you get to get up in the morning and dress yourself and go wherever you want to go. But Peter, I own you now. You belong to me. You've been bought with a price. And now I'm telling you that one day, and you better, you better make the, your mind up. Do you love me? Am I right here? Because one day some people are going to come and get you, and they're going to bind you and tie you, and you're going to stretch out your hands, which in extra biblical literature means crucifixion. They're going to crucify you, and you're going to glorify me by giving the ultimate sacrifice. We know that in AD 64, when Nero blamed the fires of Rome on the Christian, that he tra tracked down Peter and he did crucify Peter. And Peter requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Now, when I tell you the stories of these Indian pastors who are giving their lives, I see the look in your eye. I see it. You know it makes sense down deep inside. You know that it's more appropriate, it is appropriate to give up something you love for something you love even more. You and I have it so good because you're not gonna be asked to give your life tomorrow when you go to work. You're probably not gonna die here in America for your faith, at least not yet. But Christ has called those who have much, to whom much is given, much is required. Our calling may not be to go to Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bhutan, Bangladesh, but our calling is to resource those who are because we've been given much. But most of us are too busy spending these things that God has given us on ourselves, on luxuries that are seen by the rest of the world, something that most of the world could never have. Nehemiah is amazing in this area. He gives up self-preservation, self-promotion to the point of reckless abandonment. And so chapter four ends, or actually it's chapter five. In verse 17, he says, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nation. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. And in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Nehemiah said, I had all these things, but I gave it away for a purpose greater and bigger than myself. Where are you in this? This seems to be the litmus test of where your heart is. Where are you? You know, there's an old saying that says, follow the money. Guys, if I followed yours, what would I find out? What would I discover about you? What would I discover as your real passion, the one thing for which you ultimately live? What is it? What is driving you? Where is your primary interest? In the past, when we're conversing about what keeps us from God, what keeps us from putting the one thing as the one thing, the main thing, the main thing, it's either the fear of God. Here's what motivates us, the fear of God or the fear of man. The fear of man is the fear that people will reject you. And I think in this generation, that's not really true anymore. We don't really give a rip about what people think about us anymore. I, I don't. I think we're an autonomous generation. I mean, I can prove that to you by showing you the way people dress. <laughs> you were afraid, you know, if you don't dress a certain way, live in a certain place, run in a certain social circle, drive a certain car, you thought, but I don't think, our generation's past, I really don't think we care that much about what others think about us. We're very 
privileged, entitled, and autonomous. But there's a second reason you live your life, and it's the fear of God. The respect that one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for everything God has given you. But I think we're in a generation today that we don't really care what God thinks either. That's why evil runs rampant. When you remove eternity from the equation, when a person is able to do whatever they're going to do without the conviction that one day you'll stand before God, evil will run rampant. And that's what we're seeing in our world. But Solomon in Ecclesiastes said, I've thought about what life is ultimately about. And finally he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it be good or evil. In other words, Solomon says, here's the bottom line. It doesn't really matter what you say. It's not really important what you claim. What matters is the deeds of your lives coming to light in the presence of God. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I thought this was salvation by grace. It is, but a natural byproduct of a changed heart is a new passion. Do you have it? But you know, there's a third fear now prevalent in this generation, and it's the fear of missing out. Marketers bank on this, literally. They're trying to convince you that if you can sit behind the wheel of this car or sit on this beach with this drink in your hand, or travel to this exotic place and stay in this hotel, or live in this city, or belong to this club, or save all your money and experience the event of a lifetime, then these ultimate experiences will satisfy your heart and mind. You will be complete, fulfilled, and your life will have meaning. It's called the Instagram life. The millennials may be photographing it, but the boomers started it. We saw the struggles of our parents, and I'm talking about me. We saw the struggles of our parents, and we said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to chase after these things my parents could never afford, and my life will be better, and I'll be more happy. The dream will not elude me. And it is in the search for these things that are marketed so well to you and me. It's the reason why people leave their families and children behind in quests for what they think will ultimately satisfy. It's why people leave their job. It's why people leave a husband or a wife or a city or a state or their children or their families. And it's why many of us are so deep in debt that our whole life is a ball and chain. We believe the lie. If I can just get that, get that, get that, everything will be fine. And we spend our entire lives getting the ladder and expending all this energy and time and we move it over to the wall and then we climb and we climb and we climb all our lives. We get to the top only to realize it's the wrong wall. It's the wrong wall. In reality, we're all just little kids on the inside and our greatest fear is boredom. Boredom. Anything but that. And the world system has convinced you and me that if we keep chasing after this next adventure fix, the sooner or later we'll find the one that satisfies. Ultimately, what a crock of tapioca. <laughs> Jesus said, lose yourself in me and you'll find yourself. And Jesus predicted that we'd be like this. Are you hearing me now? Second Timothy, Jesus said, but mark this, there will be terrible times. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, without self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Here will be them, me, 
I love me, that's my goal. And I've rewritten it just a little bit. Wouldn't it be great instead if it said this, mark this, in terrible times will be God's people. They will deny themselves. They will be lovers of eternal things, humble, self-control, loving God more than delicacies or luxuries, outwardly demonstrating the inner work of the Holy Spirit in their lives through empathy and compassion for others, building the city of God and the city of man. Everyone serves, obeys, and follows what they love and respect the most. That's why... In places where people are suffering and sacrificing, the kingdom of God is exploding. And places where people are not sacrificing and not becoming people of generosity and they put themselves at the top of the triangle, that the church is decreasing. And for the first time in human history, there are more Christians in the southern atmosphere than in the northern. So where are you in this? You know, if I, if I were your coach... I'd come to your house and I would put my arm around you and I would say, hey, you're special. You're a son and daughter of God. You've been saved, sanctified, and called. You're members of an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. And your number one priority now is to build the city of God and the city of man, to use all the resources God has given you, to model what a relationship with God looks like, to model holiness and purity and community. We're the new Hebrews. We're to build the city to prepare the way for Christ. I would then move in very close to you and whisper these words to you. I would say, but no one can serve two masters. You cannot do it. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So seek first what? The kingdom of God. I'm asking you, in this season, to prioritize your life, to do something. Look, I don't care what's happened in the past. I mean, I, I do, and there is lost time, but forget about the past. Make a decision now so that you can at least go to your grave knowing that you spent a great portion of your life doing exactly what Christ called you to do. I'm giving you the opportunity to say yes for the first time in your life. Folks, you say no to so many things in your life so that you can say yes to the things you love the most. Dads say no to going out and drinking with their buddies after work so they can say yes to spending time with the kids at home. Or no to golf so they can say yes to soccer and basketball recitals and graduations for their kids. Moms say no to their girlfriends about movie night so they can say yes to their kids after a long day at work. In fact, moms say no to a myriad of things so they can say yes to their kids. We say yes to the things that we prioritize and no to the things we do not. Nehemiah said no to self-promotion so that he could say yes to building the city of God and the city of man. And Nehemiah's bidding, at his bidding, the wealthy said no to capitalizing on the misfortune of others so that they could say yes to completing the city of God. This is what this yes initiative is all about, folks. It's your defining moment to say no to a bunch of stuff you know you don't need, to say yes to finishing the task of world evangelism, to say yes to eternal things and no to the temporary, and to say finally in your life that you're gonna live from the top down, that the number one priority in your life is building the city of God and the city of man. Remember what A.W. Tozer said? Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Wow. Whatever you offer to God becomes eternal. 
Now, does this represent what is paramount in my life? Does this show what my number one priority truly is? Now, I'm going to go ahead and live my life. Man, you got to live your life. You got to work, got to eat, got to live. But my number one priority, this reflects where my real treasure is. It is truly in Christ and the work of his kingdom coming to earth to prepare the way for Christ. There are many good things in your life, but what you do with this will represent the best thing, the most important thing. It shows that you're willing to give up stuff you love for the stuff that you love most. So let me finish. Mary Chapin's book, The World Was Not Worthy, an illustration that always inspires. If you know anything about Yugoslavia, there were so many wrongs perpetrated by the church. Perpetrated by the politicized ecclesiastical hierarchy where men looked religious on the outside, but they were pure evil on the inside. And a young pastor by the name of Yaakov came into the villages, began preaching the message of Christ. True story. And no one was receiving Christ because they'd already seen what so-called Christians do and what they look like. And he engaged in conversation in a relationship with an old man by the name of Simmerman. And as soon as Yaakov started talking about Jesus, Simmerman said this, don't talk to me about those Christians. They wear these elaborate coats and caps and crosses signifying a heavenly commission, but their evil designs and lives I cannot ignore. So Yaakov continued to serve and love Simmerman's community to bring up there down here, to build the city of God and the city of man. Yaakov would not give up sacrifice, generosity. And one day he got an idea. So he said to Simmerman, suppose I stole your hat and your coat and I went into the city and robbed the bank. And then the police came to your house and said, hey, you robbed the bank. And you said, no, I didn't. But they would say, we saw your coat and your hat. It was Yaakov's way of trying to say to Simmerman, just because somebody looks a certain way on the outside doesn't mean that's who they are on the inside. Simmerman did not like the illustration and ran away, didn't want any more conversation, but Yaakov's life could not be denied. And finally, and we're talking years, years of service and ministry, the most hardened man against the gospel as the leader of his village became a Christ follower. And one day he came to Yaakov and he said, Yaakov, how does one become a Christian? And Chapin writes in her book, Simmerman bent his knee on the soil with his head bowed and surrendered his life to Christ. As he rose from his feet, wiping his tears, he embraced Yaakov and said, thank you for being in my life. And then he pointed to the heavens and whispered, you wear his coat well. How are you wearing his coat? And do you have the courage to change if you know This is not where your treasure is. What God has called us to do will not work if everyone says, well, I'm not going to do it, but I'm sure a few other people on this road will. That's why it's going to take all of us. You have no idea the doors that God is opening right now for our church to impact the community and the world. And I look forward to telling you and revealing it as we progress. But for now, just one simple question. Just one easy one. What is the one thing 
for which you are living your life. Father, I thank you and praise you for the call on our lives to prioritize and order our lives so that what we do may match what we say we believe about the kingdom of God and its eternality and people far from God coming near to God. I pray that you would do a mighty work in us, that we would pay attention to the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but that your kingdom will not come, your will is not done until what? Until your people make the kingdom of God a reality in their lives. And we know by your sovereign hand that there have been many and will be many who will. And now it comes to this time in our lives where we can get out of the stands, onto the playing field, and join the masses building the city of God and the city of man. Have mercy on us, O God. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.